podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Menas here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Manners will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. It's a fair bit of posturing, and uh, to be quite frank, it's uh, a lot of annoying whinging. I mean, if, if the Pommers wanted to uh, reinforce the classic stereotype of the whinging Poms, their cricketers are doing it for them. Well, that was Malcolm Conn teeing off on the English on South Australian radio. I'm Andrew Mensel. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Hey, Menas, I'm good. How are you? Look, I'm pretty good. Very mad. Like, Mad Men is just under the surface today. So uh, yesterday, Jaleesa Apps got some big NRL news, so she had to delay the podcast to today. Then some more NRL news broke today, the unfortunate death of a great player. So Jaleesa's not here. So, look, I was already, like, slightly aggravated about yesterday. But then yesterday afternoon, I turn on Australia Sydney Radio, and there's Jaleesa Apps on SEN Sydney bagging Justin Langer's post on LinkedIn. It's actually very lucky Jaleesa's <laughs> pulled out of today's podcast because she was laying into the great coach of the Australian cricket team. I was not happy with her. She's ducked the podcast today to avoid confronting me about it, but I know she's listening because she always listens when she's not onto it, so we're not on the show. So next week, Jaleesa, you're going to have to face the bloody music with me. I agree with her. I mean, I thought it was a strange post from Justin Langer. I can't, your your defence of Langer, it's starting to become comical. I mean, it's not a big issue what he did. It's not a major issue. But it, for him to put up those quotes that are basically saying, um, don't let others tell you when you're wrong, you're great, you're brave, you, you know, you do you kind of thing, everyone is obviously going to assume that that is in response to all that has been occurring. And for him to say oh, it was just something that my daughter sent me and I thought it was interesting, so I put it up. It just comes across as disingenuous. Even if it's genuine, he should have known that this is the way it's going to come across and he shouldn't, shouldn't have done it. It's not, the, it's not the biggest deal in the world at all, but the fact that you are totally um, supporting him makes me question, I don't know, why are you so keen to support him? I just have a very strong uh, centre, so um, I, I don't get swayed by a few players whinging or the opinions of a few journalists. Obviously, like Andrew Wu and Jaleesa Apps hate JL, but I'm not one of those people. And Like, Paul, have you ever been on LinkedIn? It is, it's a competition for who can out, like, 
Who can put the sort of wankiest posts up on LinkedIn? You know, everyone's doing it, motivational things. It's just a forum for that kind of jargon. So it's not out of place at all. It might have been out of place if you put it on Instagram or something like that. But but on LinkedIn, every second post is someone, you know, trying to inspire someone or or give a life tip. Yes, but you know, that that's fine to be a, a boring weirdo to do those sorts of things. But None of what you said then addresses what I said, that clearly he must have known that what he was going to do was going to look um, like it was a response, a, a sort of a petulant response, that it, a petulant response to all that had occurred before. And he, he must have known that was how it was going to look, so why did he post it? But again, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Well, I disagree. I think he just put something on LinkedIn that twigged with him and it was misinterpreted and blown up. And, you know, people have an agenda now against Langer and they're using every little morsel they can grab onto to throw at the the beleaguered coach of our great nation. Um, But look, lots to get through in this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. We have the announcement of the English squad, which we're going to begin with, and then there's a, a swathe of cricket headlines. It's actually lucky Jaleesa is not here because we've got so much to get through. Um, you know, she might not have been able to get a word in. So um, let's start with the Ashes. Well, that was um, Malcolm Conn there at the beginning of the show giving the Pommies a whack. Well, they're coming, Paul. So how are you feeling now? Oh, I think that I always thought they would come, but... To have it confirmed is just relieving that, you know, even when when I felt, I, I never quantified it, but I probably thought it was a 95% chance that it was going to go ahead. That 5% option of it not going ahead would have been so awful that to, to have them confirmed as coming is great. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I wasn't very happy with the Australian players in 2000 and before the 2017-18 Ashes using the Ashes as leverage for their um, pay deal, even though I supported what they were doing. I thought... This is too important for that to be um, to, to be used in that way. I sort of feel the same way here, that the fact that they were almost putting the series under threat because of their own, um, to a degree, dispute with their own board about getting um, better conditions and, and flexing their muscles and not wanting to understandably go through some of the hard quarantine and everything else, that was a little bit uh, annoying. But that's from someone from the outside. I'm sure that all the players would passionately say, listen, mate, you do five sets of um, two weeks in hotel quarantine and all this other stuff, and then you come and then you can come and um, have an opinion. So I was, I, I could see both sides of it, but uh, it's a long-winded way of saying I'm happy the series is going ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy too. I'm, I'm sort of roughly planning to hopefully make it to the Boxing Day test if the borders are open so I could do back-to-back tests. Um, we'll I'd see. I'd to go to the Perth test. Looking forward to going to Perth this year. Yeah, same. Yeah, and Dan Andrews is desperate to welcome you in. No, no, no it's not Dan Andrews. It's what's his name? Um, Mark McGowan. Mark McGowan. That's him. Dan Andrews is the Victorian yeah. Premier. Now they announced that hey, the Ashes. Why are you, just just on that. Go sorry, on. Um, we're going to talk ahead about Earl Eddings's um, uh, departure. I think the fact I've read it somewhere else. The fact that we now know every state premier. Um, is a is a sign that all is not well. It's the same with the cricket Australia that you should never know beyond maybe one person. The, the fact that we could all name four or five or six senior executives on the cricket Australia board over the last few years is a sign that all is not well at that level either. Yeah, perhaps that's true. All right, now they've announced the Ashes squad after they confirmed they were coming, and it was basically a full strength squad. No one's pulled out, so Joe Root's leading the side. Um, Joss Butler's coming. He he sort of was one of those that was sitting on the fence. Unfortunately, Ben Stokes has not been named. 
either has Joffrey Archer, we know, has been ruled out. But it, it's a pretty strong squad. Now, what I put out, I put out to our fantastic listeners on Twitter, give me a one-word response to the squad because it was a pretty uh, lukewarm response to its announcement. And some of our listeners didn't quite get the one-word answer bit, but I'm going to read them all out here. Not You know who you are. I'm not reading the names, but these are the, the words that responded to this squad. Rooted, bipedal. These are these are the ones deemed a team worthy of the series. Moderate, missing folks and Sibley. They put all that together to get around the one word. There was no spaces, so I'll let that go. Swept, bleak, uninspired, whitewash, meh, meh, no Stokes, no Afra, entirely predictable and not in a good way. Ordinary, burns with a crying emoji, lonely, upset. So uh, no, no one there's given them a rap, have they, Paul? <laughs> no, there's not scintillating or you know, life changing. <laughs> yeah, look, I think England have shown a, a lack of adventure with this squad. I think not bringing the legsman and Matt Parkinson was a, a huge mistake. Anyone that's anyone that's seen Australian middle order against spin would know if you've got a leg spinner taking wickets at twenty three, bring him over, see what happens. You might not playing him in every test, but. At least have him in your kit bag. Definitely agree. Um, 23 is, is elite. And, uh, you know, the English wickets don't always favour spin bowlers as well. And a lot of young leg spinners, so many spinners have averages that are in, in the 30s. So when you've got someone who could actually genuinely turn the ball, and we all saw that foot, well, we saw that footage of the um, the one that was a little bit similar to Warney's ball of the century. Um, when you've got Bess, who averages about 30, He's a solid bowler, but I'd much prefer the leg spinner, and I, I think that they've made a mistake in not picking him, yeah. yeah that's my main um, reaction to the squad. Other than that, I, I'm pretty happy with it. I actually think all England really needs is, you know, two batters to have a good series along with Root having a good series if Burns or Crawley or Milan play out of their skin and make a few runs on some flat decks I still think they could be way more competitive than they're being given credit for. Australia are vulnerable. They've shown that in the last two series at home to India. There are certainly cracks in Australia's batting, and our bowling is by no means as devastating as it was, was a few years ago. So I, I think that there's some. I think England will need to play well, but we saw glimpses against India that they actually do have the ability to play good cricket. Yeah, they do. And I think that ultimately um, th th they're close enough to Australia. I think Australia is, is a better side in Australian conditions and, you know, probably a better side in all conditions. But certainly in Australian conditions, they are superior. Therefore, I expect them to win. But there's not such a gap that that can't be bridged, especially if we look back and say, oh, England really uh, got the better of conditions in the two test matches, for argument's sake, where conditions really played a part. So, you know, if they could get away with a draw in, in Brisbane, which comes sometimes flattens out a bit these days, it did in 2010-11, and it's done in, in more recent times as well. Then if they could get uh, the better of conditions in Adelaide and go 1-0 up there, suddenly they're, they're really into the series. It's certainly a possibility. I, I think that... Um, I would have made a couple of other changes. I don't see why they're bringing out Dan Lawrence. He's got a, a modest first-class record, batting average of about 38. Uh, why not bring out Liam Livingston, who has an identical um, batting average? But the difference is he's a terrifyingly destructive player 
Um, I think he's probably a better batter than that because he's probably been focusing more on white ball cricket. And he bowls some handy off-spin leg spin um, as well. And if they wanted to go into a, a, a test match where they didn't pick a spinner, having him and Root would be good backups. So I think that would have been um, worthy of consideration. And um, Saqib Mahmood as well. I'm surprised that they didn't bring him out, uh, that he, he looked good, really good in that one-day series against Pakistan. He looks fast. He's got a good record as well. And, um, you know, Mark Wood, they, they, it just seems like everyone talks about him as, as being the point of difference. And he's a good bowler. His test record is disappointing. His first-class record is solid. Just because he's a little bit extra quick um, doesn't mean he's going to have a great deal of success in Australia necessarily. He might, but uh, I think they're placing too much faith in him. Yeah, I think Ollie Robinson's more the one I think could be Definitely. a bit dangerous because of his height on our wickets. I also think that Anderson has had, obviously, that one good series in 2010-11, and in and around that, he's been pretty mediocre in Australia. But sometimes that's because it's, it is tough in Australia and they haven't had you know, they haven't been in good positions in games. If they can get a little bit of um, success with the bat and then, you know, he's not bowling back-to-back large amounts of overs, he's, he's in the best form of his career. Uh, he could actually still play a part, I think. I agree. I think he'll be keen to go out on top in Australia. And you're right, if he gets some conditions that suit him, whether that's with the pink ball in Adelaide or on a green top on the first morning at the Gabba, um, we could see Anderson have a decisive impact. And with the Australians, the the, th- the situation is that you're right. Um, I, I don't think that we're as, um, as high as, as we might be, but it, it's going to be such a fascinating summer because presumably by the end of it, we'll have a bit more clarity around the side that Warner, is he still um, the, the fine player he's always been or is he really on the decline? Will Pekosi, pardon the pun, will Pekosi come into the side and um, fulfil his promise? Then... You know, Labashain and Smith look pretty good, but who's going to be the number five? Is it Head? Is it um, Kawaja? Is it Maxwell? Is it somebody else? And then will Cameron Green um, show all his promise? And then with the bowling, Lyon and Stark come into the series with question marks over them. They had poor summers last summer. Will they have, um, you know, bounced back and have excellent summers? If if some of those questions go the wrong way for Australia, then England obviously will, will, will surge into contention. Yeah, that's very spot on. And don't forget, Nathan Lyon goes into that first test on 399 wickets. So something to watch out for. All right, uh, some other news. Another English great is coming over here, but not to play, to commentate. Ian Botham has been hired by Channel 7 to commentate on the Ashes. And Michael Slater, the Australian Open, has been sacked by Channel 7, so that opened up a spot. But, yeah, I, I'm disappointed Slate is gone. I have to say I, I do enjoy his commentary. Where, where are you on Slats as a commentator? I, I think he's fine. Like he's, um, he's in that zone of doesn't offend me but doesn't um, excite me either. He's perfectly acceptable and never mute it when he's on. But if it was a um, – uh, I'd never go to my way to listen to him either. Um, both of them – the one thing about both of them is that he's such a, a magnetic player – that it's kind of always a thrill hearing him and, and, you know, thinking back to his career. But actually, as a commentator, I'd say he's in the, the rung below that. He's, he's okay to pour, but the thing that annoys me, as it does with some of them, is that I reckon if he wasn't actually commentating on this series, he may well not watch a ball of it. Like, I don't think he's all that interested in cricket, which is fine. It's, you know, it's not yet a, a, a criminal offence not to be. But um, you get sort of get the sense that if he'll be looking at the clock and realising, oh, we're going to go an extra half hour today, oh, God. Um, and that sort of annoys me a bit. <laughs> Him and Wardy will start their own club of, uh, you know, commentators desperate to leave the media centre as quick <laughs> as possible. Um, 
But yeah, look, I'm looking forward to hearing both. I agree with you. He's not an amazing commentator, but he is antagonistic. And I think that there'll be a little bit of back and forth with him and the other commentators. He does like to poke a little bit. And if if England start to get hammered, then, you know, both of them will just lay into them, which should be fun to watch as well. The best thing would be, of course, if uh, he and Ian Chappell can have another chapter. I mean... <laughs> If it's a fight, that's great. But if if it's a makeup, that would be like if they actually become friends, that that should be required that that becomes a mini series. And I would watch it every night. Like you know the 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 final after forty years of feuding, if they became mates, that would that might complete me. That might be the greatest moment in my life. You've just made me very excited for the Sydney Test <laughs> lunchtime, you know, and both them and Chapel are both there at the the buffet getting their lunch, and the sort of awkwardness that would sort of descend on the room as the two avoid eye contact. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to have my phone ready. This could be this could be gold. Yeah, you could maybe annoy them. Like jumps the line for dessert or something in front of Chabelli. <laughs> You could try to annoy them both so much that they kind of bond in their annoyance, uh, hatred of you. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly worked for a few other people. All right, well, that was the English squad. Let's take a break and then we'll be back with the headlines. Aaron, um, do you think it kind of helps the team going in as kind of outsiders to the tournament? Do you think you might be able to surprise a few people? Yeah, I, I think uh, if your reality is we haven't performed at our best in World T20, so I think it's a, a great opportunity. Like I said earlier, I feel as though our squad is good enough to win the World Cup, it's, and it does take a full squad to do that. There's there's going to be changes, no doubt, throughout the tournament. So um, to be flexible with that, for guys to be flexible in the in the way or in the positions that they play, the roles that they play will be really important. But honestly, we don't look too much into what other people are saying. We're, we're really confident in the squad that we've got. Well, that was Aaron Finch last week. I had a bit of a fight in that question in a Zoom press conference. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, Paul. Did you notice the little pause? Just have a listen when it dawns on Finch what I've actually said. Yeah, I think uh, if you hear that pause, I think he's just digesting the fact that I've called them an outsider. No, I don't think. I think that's um, there's zero chance that that's the case. It's either a, <laughs> a pause in the in the line, like you know, sort of a slight technology technological hitch, or he was just pausing because people sometimes pause for half a second. I think that you're reading vastly too much into that. Well, he said at the end, you're I, good we kid, don't. Though. You're a good kid. <laughs> He said at the end, oh, we don't take too much notice of what people said. So it's certainly registered with him. That's a required answer. Every cricket question that's ever been given about that, they actually have it, they have it written into their contract that if there's ever an opportunity to say we're focusing on our own game, you must say it, otherwise you'll get sacked. He's contractually obliged to say that. All right. Well, listeners, you can listen to that audio and let me know what you think because I think Aaron was not happy with me labelling them as outsiders. <laughs> he walked right, now away let's... from that seething. He's like he's he's going to win the World Cup and then say, this is for you, Matters. <laughs> <laughs> he walked away. And, JL, your mate's been sledging me. Let's get into the headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Well, it was a record-breaking day yesterday in South Australia. For a start, South Australia won their first game in men's cricket in the one-day cup or the Sheffield Shield for 604 days. Unbelievable. 
incredible. Almost two years without a victory. So Jason Gillespie and his whole staff, I think, would have slept much better last night with at least one win, un- one win under the belt. But the star of the day was Travis Head. He made 230 against Queensland. It is the second highest score in the history of Australian men's one-day cup history. He's the first Australian to score two list day double centuries. This is the record that really got me. It's the fastest ever double century in list day cricket of just 114 balls. And it's the sixth highest score ever in list day cricket. Ahead of him is Ali Brown, Rohit Sharma, Darcy Short, Shikha Darwin, and Martin Guptill. It was an incredible innings, littered with sixes on on a pretty small ground with a good pitch, but still quite a performance, Paul. Yeah, and it really does um, stamp his claim for uh, that extra middle order spot for Australia. Obviously, it's not test cricket and it's not first class cricket, but um, he must wonder at the difference in the world game because he had a, a winter in England. I'm just pulling up the stats uh, as we speak. Uh, what did he do? He had six first-class matches, highest score, 49 not out, and an average of 18.3. What about what did he do in um, the list A stuff over there? Seven matches, um, 291 runs at an average of 58. So much better in the in the one-day stuff. But maybe he's um, quite happy to get back on a flat Australian wicket. Um, so, you know, um, it, it, it may be the summer that makes or breaks him. I, I'm not averse to him being back in the side. He's not necessarily the first that I'd pick, but I, I, I do think there is something about him that he could succeed still at test level. I agree. He's he's been a sort of prodigy, been given the captaincy at such a, such a young age. I guess the the doubters will say he's he made a shield hundred on a flat wicket. He's made this two hundred and thirty on a road. You know, will he be able to perform uh, on the Gabba where the ball's moving around or on um, the Adelaide Oval under lights? I guess there are questions to come. But I certainly like his form. I still think. I would prefer Glenn Maxwell at number five in the Ashes. I think he could be our secret weapon. If they put him at number five, I think that could be the difference. Well, surprisingly, I agree with you. (laughs) I've just been sort of stewing on this one, and I think we actually need to play aggressive cricket against the Poms. And, you know, Green's quite conservative at six. You know, you've got Labuschagne and Smith at three and four. I just think someone like Maxwell at five who can – change the course of a game could be invaluable. Oh, no, absolutely. He's, he's one of the first players I'd pick, and, and I've, I always say it, but if he goes his entire career never having played a test match on Australian soil, which is how things may well end up, that's a disgrace. Australia has mes- mismanaged a prodigy. That Yeah, he, he hasn't absolutely battered the house down with scoring runs in red ball cricket, but his average is almost 40, I think. Um, it's as good as so many of them that they've given an extended run to. He bowls. He's a great fielder. He's a he scares the opposition with the way that he plays. That there's that shield game where he got um, a hundred when he came in at like six for ten and got a hundred off, and the rest of the side couldn't get any runs, having got ninety odd in the first innings. He does things that other players can't do, and bring him in for the Ashes, and then have him in for the entire year as we tour the subcontinent. I think that's the right thing to do for Australian cricket. And there's there's actually a chance. I think of it now. I, I still don't think it's likely, but I'm more positive than I was. Agree. So that was our mandatory Glenn Maxwell segment. <laughs> if you're playing our drinking game or coffee game, have a sip now. All right, now on to the IPL. Well, 
Chennai will play Calcutta in the final after Ricky Ponting's Delhi were bundled out overnight against Calcutta. From the sort of Australian point of view, Paul, it'll be disappointing for Ricky Ponting's team, Delhi, that, you know, they were so good throughout the the qualifiers, then they get to the finals and lose two in a row and walk away with nothing. Big time, yeah. Um, I, I We were watching it, to, not together, but communicating with to each other last night watching it. And um, in the end, at about three o'clock, I went to bed and just happened to wake up. Uh, and it turned out that I woke up just as the game was coming to its climax. What an end that they, um, t- to go wicket, wicket six, uh, when they needed six to win off um, four balls, then six off three, then six off two, and then a six is hit. That's how you that's how you avoid a hat trick. Hit him for six. Uh, so for a moment there, it looked like Ponting side was going to win. Um, so you know, um, I think they said even he had a bit of a wry smile because it was such a topsy turvy game, and these things happen in T twenty T twenty cricket. Yeah, I think Calcutta uh, lost six wickets for seven runs at the end. Quite incredible. I think, though, the one thing I reflected on is that when Ricky Ponting was test captain, one of his the sort of criticisms of him was that mm. when the pressure was on, for some reason he went conservative. And often the the point is made that it's ironic because his nickname's Punter, but when the pressure was on, he went the conservative route as a test captain. I think we saw that a little bit with his coaching, especially, especially in the second game. I don't think Delhi played fearless cricket. I don't think they were adventurous enough with the bat in both games, to be honest, but spe- especially the second game with the tournament on the line. So, you know, I just wonder whether, you know, that that is a bit of an influence of his coaching. It might well be. I mean, the, that Sharjah wicket, the uh, the stat is so telling that the sides that have won the power play have gone on to win the game in all but one. I think it's like 11 or 12 out of 13 now. And, you know, they opened the batting and they went pretty well in the power play, but they never really um, put the foot down. They would have been well served bringing up um, Rishabh Pant or someone else to open the batting and really, really go for it. It's always been a, a curious thing of Ponting that he talks about the game. I think he's just about the best commentator. Um, you could argue he's Australia's best batsman since Bradman. And yet, as a captain, I agree that he was just uh, strangely insipid with his tactics and too too negative. So that's um, it's a puzzling one. Absolutely, Royal Challengers Bangalore were bundled out by um, Calcutta two nights ago, and Dan Christian didn't have a great IPL, Paul. And I don't want to single out Dan Christian here in particular, but one thing I think Christian's performance show with the bat and ball is the gap between the IPL and every other T20 competition. There's just a huge jump. Oh, he definitely had a bad IPL, and the IPL is definitely the best, the, the highest standard. I'm not sure if I completely agree that you can link the two. I think that it's more of a case of the IPL standard is is higher than the others. It's It's probably comparing sort of test cricket to Sheffield Shield, that there's a, there's a little bit of a rise. But I think that if Christian had a longer, you know, if they, if they um, played an IPL next summer in Australia, Christian would get picked up and he'd do really well. I don't think conditions really suited him over here. And if another franchise picks him up when the two new franchises come in, which I suspect they won't do, I, I think he still could succeed um, at the IPL, but maybe not quite as much as he's done elsewhere. But I don't think you can be as brilliant as he has, he has been throughout the rest of the world, and then say that this terrible performance that he's had in the IPL is truly indicative of his of his ability. If I was a new franchise, I would still I would still snap him up and, and give him a go. But, um, yeah, he, he really damaged his reputation, um, which is unfortunate. You know, it happens in the space of, what, three balls that he got for those sixes um, and didn't really get much of a chance. Got himself run out um, 
when his partner made a poor call and he should have just sent him back and had his partner run out, but he kind of did the noble thing and got himself run out, which was a bit strange. But yeah, I mean, for, for someone I've been championing, it's been a disappointing, um, certainly a disappointing IPL and it uh, doesn't look like he's going to get a gig for Australia now with Stoinis, um coming back to fitness as well. The only thing was Stoinis didn't make it through the game last night. So didn't he? He didn't make it through. Oh. So keep an eye on that. I shouldn't. Um, I'm not sounding delighted. <laughs> that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Um, but I was just surprised because I did. Yeah, I, I made the sensible decision to go for, to go to bed for once, and uh, so I didn't. I didn't see that. He didn't bat particularly well either when he came in at num- number three. That was another strange decision, I think, probably from Ponding. Yeah, big time. All right, my last little point on the IPL is the disgraceful disgraceful treatment of David Warner by the Sunrisers Hyderabad. I am very upset about the way he was dumped and then not given a chance to farewell the fans that love him so much from Hyderabad and he is is been such a face of that club for so long. He has in the wake of the tournament come out and made some comments in the media that he wasn't really given many answers about why he was dropped as captain and and why he wasn't picked at all. Maybe there were and he just doesn't want to make them public. But the point is you've got someone that has been dominant for your club for years and years and years. You come to a point where it's the last game of the IPL. You've got nothing to lose. Sunrisers are out. There's nothing on the game. You give David Warner a send-off game after all he's done for that club. You know, he won them a title four or five years ago now, but he's scored like over, he's like record-breaking uh, runs for them, and yet they couldn't see it in their hearts to give him that final game to send him off. I think that was atrocious. I think it it it, it just shows a lack of empathy. It shows a lack of sort of understanding about what, Warner meant to the fans. I think the, the fans would have liked to seen him given a, a send-off game, and oh, I just think it's atrocious. You know, I'm, I'm out on the Hyderabad. Uh, I really am after that. I think that um, what was strange to me was that once it became, I mean, pretty much once the second half of the IPL began, their chances of qualifying for the finals were very, very slim. And they did the right thing, I think, in giving him another opportunity he had, what, two failures? And then that was basically their chances had gone from slim to non-existent. At that point, I don't understand why they didn't persist with him because I said this on Cricket Daily the other day. Surely you'd have to say if he comes good and you've got every reason to then get him back next year, you want him in the side. You want to give him every chance of coming good. So I think that that's what they should have done. They should have just let him go the whole way through. I can understand right at the end having not done that, them not then giving him a farewell game because – out of self-interest, who's going to do that? I mean, what are they going to do? If he comes out and scores uh, an 80 or 40 balls in the farewell game, they make themselves look even they, – they make themselves look ridiculous. So no one's going to kind of do that. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not so big on farewell games. It's a nice thing to have, but it's a, it's a professional sport. Um, I'm not so bothered about that. But I think for strategic reasons, they would have been better off playing him throughout the whole tournament. Yeah, obviously they just want him out. They just want him out of the club as soon as possible. Otherwise, they would have, as you say, given him more chances or given him that last game. But, no. That's it for David Warner, you would think, at Sunrisers. And I guess it's sort of interesting if another club decides to pick him up next IPL. I'm sure they will. I mean, the two new franchises coming on, um, you know, wherever he goes, um, you'd think that lots of Hyderabad fans may well follow. Let's hope so because they must be pretty upset with the way he was treated. If you're a big fan of Warner, then you'll probably follow him. All right, moving on from the IPL. 
Australia has won its multi-format series against India in the women's series. Australia wins the points 11-5. to Australia won the T20 series 2-0 after the first game was washed out. Player of the series was Talia McGrath. Elise Perry broke the record of most caps for Australia by a woman, so she's now played 253 games for Australia, going past Blackwell's record of 251. Quite an incredible contribution she's made to Australian women's cricket. And um, speaking of excellence, there's an excellent writer at Channel 9's Wide World of Sports, Zachary Brooks, who's written about Shikapan Day's Ball of the Century as cricket podcaster Andrew Menzel took to Twitter to declare a new ball of the century. That was just a ripper by Panday in the second game that dismissed Ian Healy, uh, Elisa Healy, one of the best balls I've ever seen. Yeah, no, I didn't realise it was you who had declared it the ball of the new century. Well done, Menas. That's amazing. You've led the world yet again. Yep. Good stuff, Zachary Brooks from Wild World of Sports, quoting me. Um and then, you know, the women's cricket continues with the WBBL starting tonight, Thursday night. The Stars are playing the Sixers in Tasmania. There's no WBBL for Sydney and Melbourne, and they're moving to Western Australia, Queensland, and South Australia after the Tasmanian leg. Um, great news for the women's players that they've been given a pay rise, 22% for the Women's National Cricket League players and 14% for the WBBL players. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the WBBL. Paul, how about you? Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it more than I ever have. The That Australia-India Women's Series, uh, I thought was fantastic. Um, I, I watched a, a great deal of it and enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I just want to make some one thing that I wish Crick Info would do is they don't actually have the women's domestic stats available readily. So I, I think that's really disappointing because especially in the women's game where the, the percentage of domestic, the, the ratio of domestic to internationals is so much higher than even in the men's game. You know, if you're looking to see, see um, how good a certain player is and you can only see that oh, you know, she's played seven T20 internationals, and that's all, that's not really a, a proper sample size. So they should get the, um, the WBBL and all the domestic stuff onto their front page stats so that you can see um, all of that as well. Uh, Cricket Archive do. Um, that's it. You've got to pay for them, um, but I think it's well worth paying for it. You get ma- magnificent stats from them. I'm not paid for them to say that, but if they want me to say it, I will. If they want to pay me, I'll, I'll certainly won't reject it. But um, <laughs> that's something I wish Cricket Info would do. Absolutely. Yeah, also, Paul, um, Elise Perry was quoted in the papers today saying she she agrees with Jaleesa Apps that you, there's no need to drop the W from the WBBL, that it's its own brand and uh, that, that it's appropriate to stay. So interestingly, Perry is on Apps' side. Yeah, and I'm sure plenty of people are. I mean, it's, you know, I can see both sides of the argument. I tend to think inevitably they will drop it, um, but... Um, I uh, respect the, the opinions of those who disagree, and, and who knows, maybe they won't. All right, now, last two bits of news for the headlines. And, well, Paul, there could be some frustration at both of these. So, firstly, there's no free-to-air coverage of the T20 World Cup in Australia at all. So the T20 World Cup's not on the anti-siphoning list, and I think Channel 9 had the rights to last year's T20 World Cup in Australia. So I think they'll probably be televising the one next year in Australia, Channel 9, but this is sort of in a gap and no one's picked it up. And and I 
I'm a bit surprised none of the other networks saw an opportunity here to swoop in and cover the World Cup, Channel 10, Channel 7. One of them I thought would have grabbed it. I think partially it's also that the... I think all those, all three networks, and this is not a good state for Cricket Australia to be in, I think all three networks are not all that um, enamoured of Cricket Australia at the moment. Now, I know that um, it's, not, um, it's not a Cricket Australia deal, but I think that they have fallen out of love with cricket a little bit. Like Channel 9, when they ended up uh, severing ties with the cricket, the, 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 the headlines at the time were, after 40 years, kind of Channel 9 was sick of cricket and cricket was sick of Channel 9, that they needed a break. They've kept going covering those tournaments that sort of had the the legacy um, contracts to cover, and I think they're still keen probably to cover the Ashes when Australia tour England, but I think they're pretty happy to not have to do any more than that. Seven have obviously been in court trying to get you know all sorts of things going on, and ten were the ones that had done so much for the Big Bash, and then Peva wasn't it that was um, insulting to them when they were trying to make a, a really good bid for the uh, for the rights a couple of years ago, so. When you factor in as well that some of the Australian games are on at two in the morning and that the big games are all on at two in the morning and that Australia is not expected necessarily to perform that well and that the pitches might be low and slow and that not, not so much um, of a spectacle and that, yeah, for most Australians, it still just hasn't really uh, resonated this tournament. We just, most casual cricket fans, most casual sports fans would not be aware that the tournament is on. And I'm sure that Star Sports, if, they, if they're the ones who have the rights in India, are probably seeking an absolute mint for it, thinking, oh, Australia loves cricket. We're going to charge them a fortune. And so with all this, the above said, the other networks have gone, no thanks. Yeah. And I guess um, a bit of a public service announcement that, you know, if you want to give it a go on KO, that you get, I think, a two-week trial period. So if you time it right and maybe sign up just as Australia plays their first game, you will get a lot of the first two weeks of action for free, and then you can decide from there whether to keep KO or not. Um, but, yeah, a bit surprised that a World Cup's not been covered in Australia by a free-to-air network. And so the next bit of news, Paul, is and you're not going to be happy about this because I know DRS is your favourite thing in cricket, that <laughs> there'll be no DRS in the BBL or the WBBL because of border complexities, that it's just not easy to get all the proper DRS technology around Australia. And, and apparently it's hard even getting the operators in um, to operate it. So I think Cricket Australia is going to find that it hard enough just to get DRS going for the Ashes. They couldn't actually do it for the BBL. So that's a bit of a loss, but I really hope they get creative and and find some other way of referring decisions. Yeah, initially when I heard it, I kind of said, oh, well, it's tough times. I can understand that. But I don't know. Um, I reckon there'll be still games where Hawkeye will be available. And, I, you know, I, I think that if – if there's a game where Hawkeye's available and not all games are going to have it available, I still think you should use it where you can. You know, Wimbledon used to have it only in the in the prime courts in the early days as well. I think you want to get as many decisions right as possible. It's an interesting one, your point, around it, 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 it seems like a no-brainer. Uh, you know, batter misses the ball, hits his thigh pad, gets given out, he walks off. He's not even made his way to the 30-yard circle and the first replay has confirmed he's missed it by a mile. Everyone says, come on, let's just, you know, get the decision right. It's easy like that. But then when the grey areas do occur and you, you you sort of suddenly feel like you're back in the dark ages, if, if, if you know, you, you're almost obliged to then allow challenges, they'll then be looking at it and they'll be saying, oh, we're not sure whether he nicked it or not because we've got no um, ultra edge. We've got, 
the 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 tram lines down the middle of the wicket to see where it pitched. We don't uh, don't have Hawkeye, so we can't tell where it's going. It just becomes a real mess. Um, so I don't know, um, but it's a pity that it's not going to be indefinitely. Yeah, I just hope they can have a replay system where they can eradicate the real howlers, where it's a, a big inside edge onto your pad and you give out given out LBW, or the ball's pitched outside leg stump, which you can just see by the tram lines. You know, I hope that they can just get a system that eradicates the really bad ones because we saw last summer there was a, a few bad decisions, even Mitch Marsh in the final, where it does take away from the, the product where it's true. It, and, and I think, I guess, I know I could see your issue, but I guess I just want the umpires to be given the technology that the viewers are given. That's yeah. what I want to happen because then, you know, it may, the umpire should not be not seeing what the viewer is seeing at home. Um, and look, I, I also think that they can't have DRS for some BBL games and not others. I, I, I think that would be unfair. No, I don't think so because you're still going to get more correct decisions than not. And as I said, there are precedents in other sports, uh, especially you're talking about the Mish Marsh decision in the final. They definitely have it for the final. That's you know you want to get it right in those games. All right, well that's it for the cricket headlines. Um, unless you want to talk about Earl Edding stepping down as chairman of the board, Paul. This is I'm funny thing. Sleep just thinking about it. It's like you've gone full circle. I remember in podcasts in the past, you're the like, oh, Paul, did you hear that? Um, Mary Jones has made has been made some deputy CEO of Cricket Launceston Northern Division. Let's have the whole podcast devoted to that. And I'd say, oh, let's not. Now you finally come on board with the fact that no one cares about the board. <laughs> I just don't think anyone even knows who Earl Eddings is. Of course they don't. Of course and they until don't. it come, yeah. So. Um, Look, I think the broader issue, and I heard, uh, I can't remember which journalist, I think it was Peter Lawler say that you know, the, the concern for Cricket Australia would be that they've had, you know, David Peaver and Earl Eddings both forced out the last two chairmans, and, and it doesn't seem like the States and CA are quite on the same page with everything now, but I would argue that they never are anyway. Probably, and it, but it, it, it doesn't sit well that... It doesn't seem like we've got the right governance structure. That why are the states so powerful? Why are we so ununified? I understand various states are going to have their own um, issues, but what I want is a supremely talented management board doing the best for cricket in this country. Clearly, that hasn't been what's happened over the last few years. And yeah, I, I just look back at the uh, announcement when he was made chairman. Cricket Australia's article began with. Former first class opening, ba- former first grade opening batsman, and current president of some Melbourne grade club, um, and then th- they went on from there. That again, it's just, it's an old boys club. Like find someone from find the best executive in the world with proven track record. They don't have to be a cricket person. That nauseates me. That that whole concept. Get someone who's had issues 10 times more difficult than getting Western Australia and Tasmania to agree on things and has proven strategies for how to do that, they can come in and do a blindingly good job. And five months into the thing, you can tell them about Don Bradman's average and how really, you know, what the um, the LBW law is and all that sort of stuff. Don't just get an ex-mediocre first-grade, first-class cricketer to do the job as, the, as always has been the case. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're seeing with the appointment of the CEO of Cricket Australia with Nick Hockley that – I think that's a wise appointment. He's not a cricket person. He comes from, I think, Price Waterhouse Coopers mm. is his executive background. That's good. And I think he's proven so far 
in his limited tenure as interim and now uh, full-time CEO to be a great appointment, a very steadying influence that's you know, got that corporate experience under underpinning their management. Um, so, yeah, look, keep an eye on that one. If you love board talk, you know, I would say probably Gideon Hay and Pete Lawler are the two to read in the Australian. They're, especially Gideon Hay, he loves governance. If you want to talk to someone about governance, Gideon Hay's your man. His name's Haig, you know. Okay, Haig. Haig. <laughs> it's bothered me for five years and I finally snapped and said it. <laughs> Does he call it Haig? Yes, he. Does everyone calls it Haig except you. Oh, well, Gideon Hay. I'm just going to keep calling him that now. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. <laughs> Um, for a few um, months there, we heard about some confronting feedback and a bit of turmoil in, in regards to JL. And I just wondered, has that air sort of been cleared now? And does it feel, do you feel like there's sort of a weight that's been lifted off the group once everyone sort of got together and gave that feedback? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, it was a really, I suppose, beneficial process to be able to give really strong feedback and, and see the action that's been taken on the back of that. It, it's been really positive. So, I think just to be able to for everyone to be able to get their get their feelings out and, and um, discuss it in, in a in a really open environment was was really positive. So um, yeah, we're, we're we're steaming ahead and, and the planning and preparation side of it behind the scenes has, has been really impressive. Nathan, um, desperate for the shield to start, but it's been an interesting winter with a lot of feedback given to Justin Langer as a senior member of the Australian squad. Were you disappointed that it played out in the media? Uh, yeah, always disappointing when, when stuff get out in the media that, that probably shouldn't get out in the media. But um, in saying that, uh, there's been some really good conversations uh, with JL, uh, with, with the senior playing group, with, with the whole playing group as well, and just not the playing, the, the whole contracted list as well. So I, th- I think it's been, um, it's going to be beneficial. I think we're, we're all on the same page. Um, J- J- JL, uh, Payne and everyone's got all the players full support. So, um, in my eyes, it's it's <clears throat> well, everything, everything stops now, and we start preparing for. Uh, hopefully, the guys go really well in the World Cup, but then leading into the Ashes, which is which is a big big thing for me that we all, all can go get on the same page and, and go from there. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menazam with Paul. That was Jaleesa and me. Jaleesa asking to, a question to Aaron Finch and me talking to Nathan Lyon. So, Paul, everything's fine now in the Australian cricket team. Mate, Issues um, are done. after I had a little um, jibe at your uh, pronunciation of Hague, if you now took to Twitter, as they say, this afternoon and said and shared an article saying, don't criticise the way that people pronounce things. Everyone has a right to communicate, and sometimes we say things in different ways. And if I went and said, mate, um, that's a bit, I didn't really mean too much by it, and you went, oh, I just found it interesting. I wasn't, th- I wasn't referring to that at all. I'd say, come on, mate, you're being disingenuous. That's what I'd say about Langer. I'm not going to argue around. I'm not going to um, argue, but this is Justin Langer's follow-up post. I must admit I was a little taken aback by some of the reaction to yesterday's post. My daughter sent me the post the day I arrived here in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, so I thought I would share. I have loved English and English literature since high school. 
So he's just a fan of English literature. You all got to back off jail. Finch and Lyon have just said to me and Jaleesa, there's no problems anymore. There'll be no complaints to managers. Um, you won't have any of the, the bowlers being upset and not being picked. It's all done. Do, <laughs> do you agree with them, Paul? <laughs> I, I really don't know, but I I like to think that I, you know, when I get information about it, I try to look at it in an objective way. Whereas not, you know, you have a sort of uh, a prism of whatever Justin Langer does is right way, and I just think that's a bit strange because you're normally you're normally such a straight shooter. I don't understand why you're so enthralled to Justin Langer. I think he's fine, but there, there's some legitimate criticisms. Oh well, I'm a loyal person, and I'm loyal to Justin Langer. He's a great coach. <laughs> These players don't know how lucky they are, which Damien Martin agreed with on LinkedIn when I sent that message to JL trying to get him on the podcast. <laughs> trying to suck him up to get him on the show. All right, let's get on to Can't Let It Go before we come to blows over Justin Langer again. Um, I've got a couple of Can't Let It Goes. One is kind of Shield-centric, so I might do that at the end. I'm pretty annoyed about it. But my first one is a bit of an amusing byplay between some of the Australian players on Twitter. Now, Marnus Labuschagne was fined for excessive appealing when he was bowling for Queensland against Tasmania in their Sheffield Shield match. And uh, cricket.com.au put his excessive appeal on Twitter, which David Warner replied to, wow, I can't believe Marnus would do that. To which Tim Payne, the Aussie captain, replied, we know who won't be impressed with that bull. Uh, so what do you think they're referring to there, Paul? I wasn't sure. Um, we were chatting about it off air and you said it, you probably thought it was Justin Langer and I think you might be right, but, yeah, uh, I don't know. For me, it's another one where um, another international cricketer doesn't know when the ball pitches outside leg stuff but can't be given out. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was pretty amusing though and I think I think it's pretty clear Marnus has now become the sort of butt of all the jokes um, in the Australian cricket team. He's, he's very easy to make fun of. Um, he didn't have a toasted sandwich in his pocket when he was bowling, so I don't think Langer will be too upset. Um, but what's your can't let it go, Paul? I'll come back to my second one in a moment. Just a, a thing that always puzzles me. Um, it happened the other night when RCB lost to KKR. They um, The game was pretty much over. The Kolkata, Kolkata needed, I think it was two off four. And Coley did bring in a few of the fielders. I think he had um, six inside the circle, so... Um, that was that was at least something, but they scrambled a single, and then off the when they then needed only one to to win. Finally, he brought all of the fielders inside the circle, but still no one close, and they dropped the ball at their feet and, and scrambled a single and won the game. The Indian captain um, uh, Harman Kaur sort of did this in the in the one day as well. All captains around the world do it. That there just doesn't seem to ever be someone who says, "All right, we are almost certainly going to lose this game from here." The only way we're going to win it is to prevent singles. If they hit a boundary, good luck to them. Why not bring in the whole field and have a short leg, have a silly mid off, not so much for the catch, but so when the ball gets dropped a metre that they can actually affect the run out. Take the, the gloves off the wicketkeeper. Get the keeper to be barehanded so he's got the best opportunity to throw the ball at the stumps. In a, in a game that's getting increasingly more supposedly sophisticated, that tactical flaw just never, ever seems to get fixed. I guess the captain's intention, whether it's right or not, is just to stay in the game as long as you can and hope the other team kind of chokes. But you're right, that rarely plays out that way. 
Yeah, and I understand it to a degree, but not when it's down to when you only need um, two runs to win. I think by that stage, you've got to you've got to put all your eggs in one basket and go for it. Then. Yep, I agree, and I mean, Coley hasn't done great um, captaining RCB this season. Another season where they've underperformed, and yep, no chocolates for Coley. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up next year. I think his intention is to stay there. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I think our co-panelist from Cricket Daily, Barrett's under race and has a, a conspiracy that Coley's going to end up at the the club that's based in Ahmedabad with the biggest cricket stadium in the world. Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah, I that, yeah. Keep an eye on that one. All right, Mike Final can't let it go. It's just a little one, but as someone that commentates on the Sheffield Shield, as does my co-host here, Paul, that Tasmania and Queensland, the game I spoke about with that excessive appeal, played out a boring draw. But what what's really frustrated me was Tasmania's attitude in the second half of the game. Queensland de- declared 150 runs behind, and then going into the last day, Queen, uh, Tasmania were already – I think over 200 runs ahead with plenty of wickets in hand, which you would think, okay, we'll have a, a, a shot at bowling Queensland out this afternoon. Whether it's unlikely or not on a poor wicket for 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 bowling, you'd still have a crack. But no, Tasmania just batted out the last day, uh, a laborious sort of day's cricket, a terrible ad for the domestic competition. And I am very angry because whether Tasmania could actually go on and win the game to me is unimportant. What I think it does show is that a really poor attitude not to at least go for a win and even beyond that, not not even to give your players experience trying to bowl a side out. You know, they have a young spinner, Jared Freeman. He might have been able to do some damage in that last couple of sessions. And I think it's a terrible ad for domestic cricket where teams just give up on going for a result when there's plenty of time to at least try. I completely agree with you. And I, I said it on Cricket Daily, we weren't asking them to be naive. We weren't asking them to give Queensland a, a fighting chance. They could have still batted Queensland out of the game and give themselves given themselves a free hit. And in terms of, yeah, it was a flat wicket, they probably wouldn't have bowled them out. But I've seen it so many times when the commentators in Test Cricket say, oh, this is a flat wicket, it, it, nothing's going to happen here. And maybe nothing does happen for a long time, but suddenly, sometimes something does happen. They, they could have taken a flurry of wickets and, and made it very, very interesting. Also, criticism of the pitch as well. But I don't, I don't see the point of playing um, all these shield games where the, the wickets are just so flat. It just doesn't do anything for anyone. And I, I love to watch Sheffield Shield cricket. I want to sort of tell people to watch it. But um, I'd have been horrified if anyone new to cricket had seen that game. It would be, it'd be cringeworthy. Yeah, I agree. And I just think it's a terrible ad for the domestic cricket. And Tasmania, I mean, just as a sort of purely, if you want your team to do well, you're not actually going to win any games with that attitude. Like it, this is going to hamstrung your development as a team if you think it's okay to just bat out a day and treat it as a net session. I mean, I think that's going to you know sort of sort of insipidly eat away at the culture of your team. Um, so yeah, look, just disappointed with that. You know, I hope we don't too many see too many more shield games like that. Well, that is it for cricket unfiltered. Uh, Paul, I'm I'm excited about the WBBL tonight. I'm 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 kind of setting an ambition to watch every WBBL and Big Bash game this summer. But yeah, I'm hoping I can get to a nine out of ten. That's my sort of aim. 
good luck. Um, it's, a, it's a worthy ambition. Um, keep us updated on how you go. Uh, I, I'd like to try to match you. Um, and if, I think if I lived alone, I would. But I think that if I do try to that, if I do try to do that, I eventually will be living alone. So I'm not going to be able to quite go that far. Well, I've finished Squid Games now, so I've got, you know, I've cleared my schedule now for the, the WBBL. Have you watched Squid Games yet? No, I haven't. Um, I'm dimly aware of what it is. It is the most successful show ever on Netflix now. 111 million views in the first 28 days, overtaking Bridgerton. So, um, yeah. What's the genre? It's like a South Korean thriller. That's the best way to describe it. Oh, actually, my friend has been saying to me, I've got to get into South Korean um, TV. He's recommended four different series. So, um, yeah, sounds interesting. Start with Squid Games. Well, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered. Everybody have a great week and hopefully we'll catch up soon. See ya. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.